let me pray, and then we'll open up the scriptures together. <clears throat> Father, we, we do indeed thank you for this season. Um, it's a busy time for us, obviously, with Christmas coming, but it means that we stop and we, we, we lean into the story once again of how it is that you broke into our world uh, through the gift of your son, Jesus. And uh, this whole idea of you breaking in, Lord, is something that we just want to see repeated again and again uh, into our society, into our families, into us as individuals, that we would be uh, reminded afresh, not only of your story, but of just how deeply personal you are, that you connect with our individual stories, with all the challenges we might be facing, the decisions we have to make, the aspirations that we have, you're part of those things. And so, Lord, we, we open ourselves to you this morning and just trust that you will guide us and lead us through your word. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the word behold, according to the dictionary, means someone or something, especially of remarkable or impressive nature. Now, some of you will have images in your mind, as soon as I say that, of, of landscapes or uh, mountains or lakes or uh, something fantastic that you've seen over the years, and you just go, wow, behold. Uh, maybe you've been in the presence of somebody who's changed the world. Uh, you know, somebody who, I'm not talking about a, a celebrity in the Hollywood style, but somebody who has genuinely impacted our society, maybe through medicine or politics or science. And you go, behold. Um, the, and these, these impressions that come upon us are there to help us understand that this is the extraordinary, not the ordinary. And so what we're doing this morning is we're, we're looking at the extraordinary parts of this story of the, of we know as the nativity. And uh, I'm talk, calling this message Heaven and Earth. Why? Because we're going to look at how heaven and earth are moved in the story of Christmas and how we can say heaven and earth testified, witnesses to how it is that the Christ was born. Now, heaven and earth has always been called upon to witness for us, strangely enough. It's quite a common expression within the scripture. God would say, or the prophet would say, we'll call upon heaven and we'll call upon earth to be our witnesses. According to Jewish custom, it was always about two witnesses that were called to testify. One witness could never testify on their own and call someone to account. It was always two. And so when we talk about heaven and earth, we're talking here about heavenly influences and earthly influences that are called to witness an account and therefore qualify that account. Like in a court scenario, you might have two witnesses. Uh, let's have a look at how it was that God spoke through Moses when they signed off on the very first covenant that was made between Israel and God. The very first covenant. And here you'll find that God uses the same term about heaven and earth being a witness to this arrangement, this covenant that was made between God and his people. It says here, a sign of a new covenant. This day, Moses saying this, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. This is the summary after chapters and chapters of talking about how the people of Israel were to keep these commandments, live this certain lifestyle. And, and then Moses summarizes it by saying, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, 
Not to say that he was against you, but to say that if you don't see what God is seeing, then heaven and earth will prove it to you that this is what, a, what God is up to. God is calling upon heaven and earth to be a witness. Now, when it comes to this Christmas story as we know it, the birth of Christ, what we find here is that heaven plans, initiates, and then celebrates. Okay? Not, not a difficult thing to describe here. Most of you plan, initiate, and then celebrate when something is, something is done. And so what we're talking about this morning is how it is that heaven plans, heaven initiates, and heaven celebrates. And then we're going to look at how the earth does the same thing. You're looking at me a bit confused? That's exactly where I expected you to be. So we're going to move on and describe how it is that heaven celebrates. And of course, if you've got heaven celebrating, you need angelic beings to be present. And that's what we're talking about this morning when heaven celebrates the goodness of God through Jesus. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and how it was that an angel appeared to Zechariah to tell him that his wife and him were going to have a child, their first child in their old age. The angel's name was Gabriel. And Gabriel means God is my hero, which says it all. And in this moment, there was this miraculous encounter that Zechariah had. Uh, he didn't believe the angel by questioning how this was going to happen. God struck him dumb. He went home and had to explain to his wife that they had to make babies for God, and he couldn't even talk to her about how that was going to happen. But however, it happened. And so that's part of the miracle story. Uh, later on, of course, we find that Mary has an encounter with an angel, and she, she is told that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her and plant a child deep within her womb who would become the Son of God. Amazing story. Amazing story. But what we find throughout Scripture is that God has interrupted history with angels. There are over 270 uh, reckonings of angels within Scripture. Okay, but God seems to specialize in this whole area of, uh, of when a woman is barren, not having children. He seems to specialize in this moment. And um, here is a, a list of some of the encounters that angels had, but all of these relate to the birth of a child. Uh, Hagar and Abraham had a child, uh, Ishmael, and it was the angel who came to Hagar and said, this is going to be okay, even though... Uh, Abraham's wife is giving you a hard time about this, you'll be okay and your child will be okay. Abraham and Sarah, within their lifetime, had never been able to conceive. Abraham was 99 years old. And uh, when an angel appeared and said to Sarah that she was going to have a baby, she laughed, as you would. As you would. Uh, this unknown woman, known as the wife of Manoah, she was also known to be barren. She's never referred to by name, but always as the wife of Manoah, which is a bit disappointing in one sense. But uh, she was told that she would have a child, and that child would be a Nazarite. The Nazarite vow, don't cut your hair, don't drink alcohol, be set apart for God. And that gave her the son, Samson. Of course, there's Hannah and Elkanah. Hannah pleaded before God to the point where Eli the priest thought that she was drunk because she was babbling in front of him. Maybe she was speaking in tongues. Maybe it was something of the spirit working. But uh, she was told to go back to her home and there her husband and her conceived Samuel, who went on to be probably the greatest prophet of the Old Testament times. So all of these stories, Zechariah and Elizabeth and of course Mary and Joseph, have these 
these um, encounters during a time, often when a woman has been barren and the social status that she had would have been slipping, eroding, until the point of deterioration where they were embarrassed. And, uh, and in fact, Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, said when she fell pregnant with John the Baptist, she said, thank you, Lord, because my shame has been lifted. Okay, that's how significant it was. And so a number of these women here were feeling the shame. And God breaks in and heaven starts to testify that there is a new beginning happening here. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? And maybe some of you as couples here have struggled with fertility and, and <clears throat> have had to work through the whole process of, of having children, maybe had some, some medical intervention there, or maybe you haven't had children. And it's a very, very difficult time for people, very trying time, emotionally very, very costly. Uh, I met an a Australian guy a few months ago, and uh, he was one of nine children. And he said, but um, I've got a twin brother. And he said, and there's another twin boys in my family. In fact, he said, my mother had five boys under the age of three. Whoa, five boys under the age of three. Two sets of twins and then a little Charlie turned up as well. I don't know his name. We'll call him Charlie. But he was like, wow, man. Give that lady a medal, eh? Man. So, you know, some people are blessed in that sense and uh, have, have, have children easily, which is really, actually, incidentally, our second daughter's having a baby in April, which is cool. So that's uh, grandchild number two. She did ask me about three months ago, she said, our eldest child is starting to give me all sorts of grief, starting becoming the center of the world, demanding, what do I do, dad? And I said, have another baby. <laughs> Maybe she still listens. So here we have heaven through these angels intersecting earth, creating opportunities to glorify God through the birth of children. It's a beautiful thing because the birth of children is celebrated. It's a gift from God, isn't it? And so the story rolls on and it says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. That's not very dramatic, is it? That's a man telling you about the birth of a child, okay? That's Luke, who's a doctor, by the way, may have seen this happen many times. Not very dramatic at all, but it starts to build. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Why? Because heaven has hit earth. Heaven has had an encounter with earth in this moment. And the beautiful thing about this story, of course, is that the angels, or the angel in this case, Gabriel, didn't appear to the magistrates, the lawyers, the doctors, the academics, the educated, the wealthy. He decides to take this great news and minister to those who are the least of the least. You see, the thing about being a shepherd in the day is that you were usually uh, a single man, and you may well have been single for a reason. You were often frail. You might have been old and without any other means of support. So shepherds became the place 
shepherding became the place or the vocation that people went to as a last resort. Okay, it was where the other people hung out. When everybody else was in the middle of town or in the fertile fields, uh, harvesting grain, growing plants, selling them at the market, the shepherds were out there somewhere and we only saw them a couple of times a year. Just a couple of times a year. And that was the way society liked that. Because society always has others, doesn't it? Sadly, others. People who have been rejected or who feel dejected or have had some tough times in life. But the angels decided that when, when time comes, when heaven touches earth, they are going to minister to those who are on the fringes, the least of the least. And this reveals the heart of God, doesn't it? Because you're not lost, you're not abandoned, you're not isolated, you're not lonely. You are there to be touched by God. And that's the way God sees it. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. And it goes on. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Okay, so we've got this, this planning that's gone on. God initiates it. Angels are on assignment into people's homes, blessing women, telling them they're going to have children. Husbands um, are brought on on the deal as well. And then the baby is born in Bethlehem and the plan is being initiated and now it needs to be celebrated. And I think this is probably the most understated or underwritten, um, uh, undervalued piece of scripture because there were those smelly shepherds out the back of nowhere on these mountains. You can only imagine how for hundreds of years they've been looking forward to this moment. Why I say hundreds of years? Because the prophets have spoken in rhymes and riddles and predictions throughout the years, and people have leaned in and said, what does this really mean? Unto us a child be born. Unto us a king is born. What does that mean? When is this going to happen? When is Israel going to find its place once again in society? When are we going to kick out these, these Romans? When is God going to step up, step in, and take on our, our challenges for us? When are we going to have a deliverer, a redeemer, a king, a soldier, somebody who's going to come and break the back of the powers that have overwhelmed us over these decades? And so for centuries, the prophets have predicted this moment. And there we have Gabriel, the main man, the main angel. He's gone around and he's shared this promise. He's now come to the point where he's come to the shepherds and he's told them that a child has been born. In other words, all the plans have come together. And now, all these angels, a host of them, it says. And a host isn't just a group of people who welcome you into your house. Okay, that's not a host. A host is another term for an army. And an army, in the biblical terms, is a minimum of 6,000 people. Okay, that constituted an army, according to Roman times. Okay, so what we're seeing now is in this moment, after having announced the birth of this child, you can sort of see Gabriel going, one, two, three, now, okay? And suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts, that's the army, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth to those, and, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Maybe the song was new. Maybe they wrote it for the occasion. 
They had hundreds of years to practice it, hundreds of years to anticipate it. And now in this moment, in this field, on this mountain, in the back of nowhere, at a little place called Bethlehem, they break out a thousand, six thousand strong. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay, and then some. I should get you all to be singing with me. It's an amazing time. Heaven meets earth in this moment. And the world is changed forever. And heaven testifies. Heaven testifies that the world has changed. And all of those angels, <laughs> everyone in heaven would have wanted to be there, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to miss out on that, would you? You know? When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what has been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as had been told. Don't you love it? The shepherds become the men of the moment. You know, the shepherds are out there telling everybody what they had seen. And then they go back to tend the sheep, you know, and they, they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing. They've had such a, a great day. A great day doesn't get any better than that. Because heaven plans, heaven initiates, and heaven celebrates. Heaven comes to earth. But what about the other witness? If heaven witnesses, and then we're told that the earth witnesses, then there must be something powerful, something significant, something super important about how earth, the best of the earth, the best wisdom of man celebrates the birth of Jesus. Well, I want to introduce you to these characters that you've known for a long time. Okay, three men on a camel. That's what tradition tells us. We know that there's probably more of them, but we go back to three because there are three gifts that these men brought. But how could it be that in a, a Jewish story about a Jewish king fulfilling Jewish prophecy in a Jewish town on a census of Jews, that these total strangers from the east turned up? How did they get in the story? Seriously. I mean, this is a Jewish gig, you know? This is a little bit like, you know, uh, the story of New Zealand, and then all of a sudden, somebody from Indonesia turns up. And you go, how do you, what are you doing here? That wouldn't make sense. So how do we understand this? What's going on here? How does earth celebrate and testify to what God is doing here? Well, We've got to find ourselves a story in the midst of this story. And the first part of it is, of course, we affirm what is happening. After Jesus had been born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star and it rose and we have come to worship him. Great. Where do these folks come from? Who are they? Just some men from the east and they've come to worship. Well, we've got to roll the clock back, Okay to 605 BC, okay? 605 BC, it was a Thursday. No, it wasn't, no. it was a Friday. And King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Assyrians, whose capital city was Babylon, was on the march. 
gobbling up nations as best he could because they were powerful in their day. And God had warned his people through the prophet saying, if you don't repent, if you don't look out for the poor, if you don't keep that covenant that I made with you, that heaven and earth testifies to, then you too will be gobbled up. Well, the Assyrians were camped outside of Jerusalem. And they called them to a truce and they said, from now on, we're going to ask you to pay tribute to us. We don't know how much it was, but it was a financial uh, ransom, really, basically saying, we won't come into your city and destroy you, but you've got to pay us money. And King Jeconiah, at the time, king of Judah, agreed to this. But in the fourth year of paying this tribute, he decided enough is enough. He wasn't going to pay it anymore. He maybe couldn't afford it. Or maybe he just wanted to call them to their bluff. So what happens is the Assyrians roll into Jerusalem and they, they capture people. They didn't put them all to the sword. They captured them. And they took, guess who? They took the leaders. They took the academics. They took the, the wealthy. They took the merchants. They took anybody who they perceived might be of value to them. Okay? And so Jerusalem, or the big core of Jerusalem, was enslaved by the Assyrians. And they were taken to Babylon the capital of Assyria. And uh, in Babylon, Babylon was known as sort of the, 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 the best place on earth. I, I don't know what city would be equal to it these days. There's so many amazing places around. But Babylon was, was filled with different cultures, filled with different intellectual property, literally. Uh, it was an amazing city, had credible gardens apparently, but cultures of all sorts have been poured in there because Nebuchadnezzar, the Assyrians, had taken the best from all the countries that they had invaded and hadn't killed them off, but it said, come and invest in our land. Quite a wise thing to do. And so the, the Assyrians said to the Jews, come here, set up camp here. And the Jews did. They created a home in Babylon. And, and that's where we get that lovely little song, you know, by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down. Hey, hey, we wept when we remember Zion. Yeah, great song, isn't it? But that's what they did. They wept, they remembered, but they established themselves. In the midst of this group of people, there was a young chap by the name of Daniel. Now, in the time of the siege, Daniel would have only been 15 years old. By the time uh, they were taken into captivity, we can guess he was around about 20 years old. And he had some friends, some friends who were called to serve the king the Assyrian king, in the Assyrian way. And they were put into an education process, Daniel and his three buddies called Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. We, we sang a song this morning concerning how concerning them. They ended up being thrust into a fire and God saved them. But Daniel was a class above the rest. He had the ability to hear God's voice, to speak in God's name. And so the... Uh, what we do know, of course, is that his words and his prophecies were written down. And even though he was living in this Assyrian court, this Assyrian town called Babylon and serving the Assyrian king, he still worshipped his own God and God spoke to him and through him. And this is one of the things that he wrote down. It was a vision that he had. He said, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, that's the term for God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. 
His dominion in an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. Sorry, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So out of the middle of nowhere, this guy describes the Messiah who was to come. And this prophecy with the rest of his material that he wrote was left there in Babylon, in Assyria, like a, like a seed planted deep within that culture that spoke of a season of a time when God would send a Messiah. Now, the thing that connects this story together is this, is that um, when we look at a little map, we've got this uh, fertile ark here uh, where so much of uh, uh, history placed and uh, you've got Mesopotamia right in the middle here. Mesopotamia literally means the land between two rivers. And the two rivers were the Euphrates and the Tigris, some of the most fertile land in the world. Over here, we've got Jerusalem, where Daniel came from. Over here, we've got Babylon, okay, in the area that we now know as in the borders of Iran and Iraq. Okay? So... When we read about the Magi coming from the east, this is what is important. You see, there was a group of people who uh, were been around as religious group of people who've been around for as long as the Jews, maybe even longer. A group called Zoroastrians. You heard of Zoroastrians before? I'm not talking about Don Diego de la Vega. Zoro, okay, nothing to do with that. Okay, but Zoroastrians are essentially uh, a religious order whose primary purpose is to seek wisdom, to seek understanding, to seek truth, to seek culture, to seek knowledge. And so you can see how this fits into that Babylonian environment because these folks were doing what they could do to get the best for themselves for the sake of their people. They were adventurers, they were nomads, and they were also missionaries. People who would go out to these other nations looking for all the information that they could find. And uh, where they could, they would just simply absorb that information and bring it back. Daniel, in his prophecy, spoke of a time when a king would come and his dominion would know no end. And so they knew that this was a prophecy of something very significant that would happen in the nation of Israel because they realized that Daniel was a Jew who worshipped the living God, Yahweh. And so Daniel also left a timeline in his prophecies as well. It talks about the 70 times 7 weeks, and it's a period of 490 years. So they, there's a trigger point as to when people start counting that 490 years. And so at the end of that period of time, their, their prophets, their academic leaders, have been looking for a season when this 490 years would would turn over and then this Messiah would come. I can only imagine, this is only speculation of course, but um, I would imagine that in that season, when that season came close, they might have sent these missionaries out in different places all around the world. There might have been a whole group of them looking for the fulfillment of this prophecy. But they're known as Zoroastrians. And of course, we know where they came from. They came from the east. So where is Babylon? It's from the east. Jerusalem, Bethlehem's just below Jerusalem. They came from the east. And so here we have a picture of earth testifying. 
Because for the Jews, even though they were a self-contained culture, even though they celebrated their own wise people, their own prophets, their own priests, they also knew that they lived within a bigger context themselves of the world as they knew it. And so here we have these unusual people, these Magi, these Zoroastrians as we know them now, turning up, turning up at the birth of a child. And what do they do? These incredibly wise people, these respected people from another land, from another religion, they turn up and they too see that prophecy is being fulfilled. And what do they do? They give their gifts, expensive gifts. And then the scripture tells us that they bowed down and they worshipped. That's why, that's why we've got this, this um, strange recording of these people from the middle of somewhere turning up to worship at this little town of Bethlehem. Because what the writer Luke is trying to say to us here is that the people whom we respect the most with earthly wisdom, with earthly currency in respect to understanding of culture, with earthly currency in respect to understanding of academics, and, and, and everything that goes with it, they too have been impressed. They too have been strengthened and encouraged by what God is doing in and through this little baby we call Jesus. So not only have we got heaven testifying, but we've got earth testifying to the birth of Jesus. And so when we look at the story over the Christmas time and we see uh, these three wise men, we're being told here that the best of earth, the wisest people outside of the Jewish community, the academics, the seekers of knowledge, the seekers of understanding, the seekers of wisdom, they too gathered from another part of the world to come and bow at the feet of Jesus. Does that make sense? Isn't that cool? The best that the earth could offer got on their knees and acknowledged the Son of God had been born. I love it. And you know what you're going to do tomorrow? I've got a great little segue for you. When you're sitting in having coffee with people tomorrow at work or wherever you might be hanging out, the croquet club with my mum, she plays croquet, you're going to say, we heard about Zoroastrians yesterday. And they'll say, who? Zoroastrians. And then you'll tell them that there's a guy called Farouk Belzar who's a Zoroastrian, and they'll say, who? And you'll say, Farouk Belzar, he's a Zoroastrian. Well, he was. And you'll say, they'll say, who's that? And you'll say, Freddie Mercury, the leader of the band Queen. There's only 10,000 Zoroastrians, they reckon, in the world today, and they're under a lot of persecution where they are in Iran and Iraq. Freddie Mercury was a Zoroastrian. That's his family. Now, there's a great segue into the Christmas story for you. You know? <laughs> See, Freddie was, I'm just a poor boy from a poor family. See? So, if you know the song, you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to get myself in a whole heap of trouble here. But, but all I'm saying is that heaven and earth testify to the fact that the Savior, God's Son, has been born. And that's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? us testifying, us laying hold of, us claiming the story, us having it speak to us afresh. Because heaven and earth 
has spoken in probably its most loudest way 2,000 years ago in history. Why don't we stand for prayer? Oh God, sometimes I look at Scripture and I think, if only I could have been there. When the veil of heaven was ripped open and an army of angels sang, celebrated the fact that your plans had come together and this, this child, your child, was born. If only we could have been there when three complete strangers from a different culture came in and bowed down on their knees and worshipped this child, knowing that God had done something truly amazing and was about to begin a whole journey of the truly amazing. It would have been cool to have been there too. Heaven and earth, heaven and earth doing its finest, heaven and earth doing its best to testify that the Saviour has come. And Lord, this story isn't something that we just stare at and look at and marvel at, but we know it's something we're grafted into. Because we know the story of the Son is completed through the cross of Christ, where Jesus laid down his own life as a substitute for our lives, where he took upon his own body, spilled his own blood, paid the price for our sin. Oh God, that divine exchange that gives us the ability to be known as the children of God is a gift that has come and heaven and earth would testify to that as well. So God, as we move forward into this this holy time, may we take with us an enriched and a strengthened and encouraged understanding of what is essentially just a Christmas card for a lot of people but a story where heaven and earth celebrate, heaven and earth intersect our world. Heaven and earth create a story way bigger than we could ever have understood. So to you, our God, may you be glorified. May you be glorified in this season ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.